Welcome to the Vet Church Podcast. Vet Church interviews are authentic, sacred, and inspirational. Vet Church is open to anyone who appreciates the sacrifice made by the women and men who put on a uniform and served this great nation. Find out more at vetchurch.com or retiredarmychaplain.com. Welcome back to another Vet Church interview. Today we're talking with Alex Chapman. Now, Alex, you're a you're a unique guy uh, in the sense that you're a veteran yeah. and a pastor. So we've got like we got a little bit of everything today for you. Tell tell us a little bit about your military career. What you what you feel like? Sure, Matt. Uh, first of all, it's a pleasure to actually have an opportunity to sit down and talk with you a little bit, uh, and I I enjoy just uh, hanging out with you and the fact that we get a chance to. Talk to uh, the folks here on the uh, online for a bit is good, and I don't mind sharing my story because this is where people understand your testimony, and as you give it out, they have some type of association, and in some cases, um, some type of information that helps better their lives. So I'm I'm always able to share. But in terms of my military history, I, I do want to start off from a standpoint of where I grew up. I grew up in Washington, Pennsylvania, which is right outside of Pittsburgh. And anytime you're growing up in that environment, it's a blue collar environment. So things are simple, right? Yeah. We lived on the same street all my life. Uh, didn't, uh, um, you know, have really any great goals or determination. But uh, I wanted to, you know, do more than what we did in town. My, my, pretty much all my family worked at the steel mills. Right. My, my dad, um, several of my uncles, several cousins, and truth be told, my brother still works in a steel mill back at home. All right. So that was kind of like the, the, uh, the way I grew up. But as I was growing up, um, I, I grew up in a Christian home where, you know, my mom made certain we got to, to church on Sunday, but it, it wasn't necessarily a, a fact of um, there were a lot of things I would say fruit in my life at that point, but nonetheless, it was an introduction to God. And I wanted to do something that looked something godly. So joining the military seemed to be that, that thing. Um, and like a, a kid growing up in the seventies and seeing the space program, you know, why wouldn't you want to be an astronaut and how would you become an astronaut <laughs> unless you went through the military and became a pilot? So those are some of the early on pieces that helped inform where I wanted to go, what I wanted to do. And consequently, um, when I got to high school, started making sure I had good grades, uh, God saw to it that I got a chance to go to college because there was a conversation where my mom sat me down at the kitchen table and said, Alexander, your dad and I don't have enough money to send you to college. And I went, Mom, the Lord will provide. And he did. I got an academic scholarship to a, a school in Pennsylvania called Slippery Rock University. And at that point in time, I joined the Air Force ROTC uh, uh, debt there. Um, and I thought I was off and running. And come my junior year, uh, being that uh, I was a knucklehead, I got into a DUI, part of my story, right? And in that DUI, I uh, transitioned out of the Air Force ROTC program. And my sister, Keely Chapman, who at the time was in the Marine Corps, and she said, have you given any consideration to becoming a, a Marine Corps pilot? I was like, if Marine Corps has planes, what is that? <laughs> And so that's how that, that got started. Um, I joined 
the Marine Corps, uh, went through uh, the officer candidate school in November. Uh, uh, let me see. I, well, actually, I went in uh, pretty much the 1st of October of 1987, finished up uh, at OCS, officer candidate school, um, that December. Uh, one January, I went to the basic school, which is where all Marine officers go prior to their next uh, line of duty or training. And from there, my wife and I went to Pensacola, Florida. And so that's where my aviation career began. And all of that, I was winged in 1991. Meaning, and, what's that mean? Uh, winged. Okay, so uh, the course of uh, instruction for uh, naval aviators is pretty much the same. And I say naval from a standpoint, uh, Navy, Marine Corps, and we even... Um, uh, had the the blessing of working with uh, some of our Coast Guard brethren. So you go through what they call primary, right? And primary at the time we were flying uh, T thirty four, so prop turboprop aircraft, where a lot of your basic aviation skills are, are you know taught, like how to fly a plane, basic instruments, precision aerobatics, etc. And then after that, you get a choice to choose what what you know your your platform type will be. And I picked rotary wing, which put us in a, um, a bell jet Ranger. It's a small helicopter TH 57 and, uh, was flying that, uh, had a great time. Uh, that week I graduated uh, number one in my class and got a chance to choose the, Whoa. the platform that I wanted to fly in the Marine Corps, which was a CH 53 E, uh, super stallion. Uh, capable of lifting a lot of weight, you know, you're talking 18,000 plus pounds, depending on environment, of course, and also the load, um, care, capable of carrying, you know, 30 plus troops, more with center seats, and um, aerial refuelable. I mean, it, it was a, a great platform, uh, got a chance to do debts on and off um, uh, naval ships, uh, also deployed, you know, several times uh, in and around Japan and the you know the Pacific uh, area and um, that's how my military aviation career started. It sounds awesome. Oh, it it it, it has been. Um, and just to <laughs> kind of do a peek forward, uh, one of the blessings in uh, our life is that we have two sons. Uh, our eldest is a CH fifty three pilot as well. So I got a chance to to watch how that <laughs> legacy part uh, kept going. And the oddest thing, uh, and I consider it a blessing, is the fact that some of the Marines I trained have trained him. Oh, no way. Yeah. That's super yeah. cool. So it's always good to hear stories about, uh, um, you know, hey, your dad did this, your dad did that. And, you know, at that time, you know, the Lord was doing really good things in my life. So I don't have to go like, hey, who would you talk to? <laughs> like, you know, try to back out a story or something like that. But no, it's been good. And also uh, several blessings uh, from the standpoint, many of my mentors who retired, they went into aviation and aviation support, support training, and they were instructors uh, at basically the fleet replacement squadron where you would go to learn how to fly the 53. And a few of those folks, um, like, like I said, they were mentors of mine. So when my son came rolling through the class, my son didn't know who they were. But they knew who he was. <laughs> they were waiting for him. <laughs> yeah, they did. That's really cool, though. Yeah, it is. And uh, when my son told me who his instructors were, um, uh, one was my XO, Lou Cipriani, and the other one was my uh, maintenance officer, uh, Co Coach Kane. 
And both of those men I love, highly regarded. As a matter of fact, Coach Keen is responsible for me getting into the acquisition area where I am now. And he was the one who guided me in my aviation program to consider doing something with your you know, talents. I graduated from college with a um, business major, got my MBA um, you know, during my first four years of the Marine Corps. And he said, hey, you're, you're aptly suited. Uh, give that a consideration. And quite frankly, if it wasn't for him doing that, I literally would not be sitting here with you today because a lot of my acquisition stuff is being utilized in my current position, which, um, you know, you're you're not in though right now, right? No, actually I, I I retired back in 2012. And, um, at that time I went from literally wearing a uniform on Friday and in a suit on Monday. And, you know, when you're in defense acquisitions, um, that back in 2012, that was, you know, something that was still, um, possible nowadays with the current updates and laws, you would have to have a cooling off period, you know, a couple months mm-hmm. out or, you know, come in as a contractor, but I came in as a government civilian. So, um, but nonetheless, uh, coach Kane was the one who got me into that. Um, and so when he saw my son's name, he knew right away wasn't going to be me. Like I'm not coming back through the FRS as, you know, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Colonel. And then he went down the hall, uh, to get Lou Cipriani. He said, uh, Lou, you're not going to believe who's in the class. He goes, who Alex Chapman. He goes, what? I thought he retired. He goes, no, 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 not that one. His son. And both of them came running back down to the class and my son thought he was in trouble. <laughs> and then after a few short words, he knew exactly what was going on, which was, Alex, we have not seen you since the last time we held you in our arms. And so those are some of the things that I'm very grateful to have watched, you know, what the Lord has done in my life, how it's affected my family, and um, some of the things that he's already put in front of me uh, of things yet still to do. Now, we're, we're both married to this to these beautiful ladies named Kate. Yes. We have this in common and it's really awesome. And um and your art uh wife like myself are, is an is an artist. Correct. And um how how did y'all meet? Like just give us a quick yeah you know, like I don't know it's just I don't know why, but I yeah I, I mean feel the, pulled to hear this. <laughs> yeah, as a matter of fact I could tell you this now. Uh, when we get off mic and when we get a chance to hang out, there are so many more cool, uh, cool stories. But uh, let me just give you the abbreviated version. Okay. Okay. So this is actually a deeper part of my testimony because when you get to college and you grow up pretty much as an academic athlete, what does that mean? It means that in high school, all I really wanted to do is practice, play sports, me too, and study. Like I really didn't have a social life. Um, you know, girls at that time, they were friends, really had no romantic interest. Um, but when I got to college and let's just say the first year and a half, two years of college, when you're just doing like general courses of study, wasn't really taxing to me, which meant I had additional capacity uh, to go do other things. And that's when the if you will pardon the term, the scales came off my eyes and I noticed women like that was a, an experience that really jacked me up um, because I, I didn't have any tools to actually interact with tools those. are important. Oh yeah. I, like uh, some of my friends said, Alex, you have a speech impediment. And I said, what do you mean? You have a problem saying no <laughs> to girls. I was like, 
yes, that's probably accurate. And so my freshman and sophomore year, that introduction of women into my life really, uh, and I thought it was the good guy. Like I didn't understand the issue of not, um, what's the issue with dating three or four girls. Each one was like a bouquet. Like, you know, like there's this beauty that came with it. And, um, and I, you're not talking at the same time or are you? No, oh, no, no, no. Uh, I thought that would be bad. <laughs> Not like what what I was doing was good, but nonetheless, it was one of those things where um, uh, I wasn't prepared, didn't have uh, any mentors at that time. But come my senior year and the reality of what I was involved in, and when I say involved in, please, you know, it was no deep treachery or anything like that. But when you're talking that this is someone's daughter, somebody's mom someday, definitely a sister, there's no reason for the behavior of just keeping a girl around because you know you enjoy your company and so um friday the 13th in november of uh, 87 is when i met my wife and the reason why i know that date was because it was a friday the 13th we were actually going from slippery rock uh university in pennsylvania down to washington dc for a conference a resident advisor conference and i was on a van with a buddy of mine rob morales and i said rob this is going to be a He-Man Woman Haters weekend. And that term comes from the little rascals. I'm not sure if you're, you're familiar, but uh, and he, he knew exactly what I was talking about. I had a girlfriend at, at the time who had graduated the year prior, and I really thought we were going to get married. Um, then I had a girlfriend at school because, you know, you got to love the one you're with. Then my trainer, she was awesome. And so <laughs> there was, yeah. And this is me, like, ramping down at my senior year. And I was like, there is no way. Like, there is no way. God's not happy with me. How can he bless me in a situation like this? Like, what are you doing? And then I um, I told um, Rob um, that one of our bosses, we had a boss, Tony Calderelli, uh, and Tony had sat me down probably just a few days prior to this. And he said, Alex, I've been watching your behavior. I've been watching what you're doing. I said, all right, Tony. He goes, I got to ask you a question. I said, what's that? He goes, when will you figure out that there's not that big of a difference between two mucous membranes? And that jacked my world up. It caused me to, to go into a deeper level of thought and understanding, you know, the, the price that I'm paying, which is I'm mortgaging my future and I don't even know it. Like, how do you think you're going to um, be worthy of marriage or marrying a lady who is worthy of marriage as well? And so there was a lot of prayer um, and just laying it out there like, Lord, um, I'm, I'm just not fit. And when I hit that point of um, disgust of my behavior, literally, that's when my wife came in. And I was like, oh, so I'm going to go from Friday the 13th to Tuesday the 16th. There was a great weekend involved. And once again, that's a longer story. Um, and at that point in time, I, I asked the Lord, I was like, Lord, if she's the one Help me not mess that up. And so um, by that Thursday, we were dating exclusively. By that weekend, one week later, like the 21st, uh, she had heard that, uh, hey, I understand you're dating other girls. And I said, actually, I'm not. Because uh, Tuesday, I actually cleared the house. Uh, and she said, no, that's not what I heard. I said, okay, do me a favor. 
ask whoever told you that, ask them who those girls are that you, that they think I'm dating and then ask them because, uh, to me, I'm an open book. Um, and I'm trying to figure out how to care for you. And so from that point on, the Lord has been putting people in my life, um, that would help me care for her properly because, um, what I've noticed in life, uh, especially, you know, reproving the fact in the Marine Corps, right? If you have a good piece of gear, you learn how to take care of it. Like when you come into the Marine Corps, um, every Marine officer is a rifleman. Like you learn how to field strip a, you know, your weapon, what it, what it does. And it's for one thing, in order for it to be reliable, you got to take care of it. Simple, basic knowledge, but in going into relationships, a lot of people don't view it from that perspective. And I said, I need to know how to take care of her and it can't be like how I've done it. And so, uh, you know, I was like, Lord, I'm turning this all over back to you. Like I'm going to do it your way. And so that whole repentant heart is what got me down to the road of seeking, um, relationships with men who have been there and done that. And these, these men aren't like, you know, um, they're ordinary men who have decided to live differently right? Distinctive, set apart, holy for the Lord. And I was like, I want that. And so after being mentored by a lot of great men, and now I see my, my role is kind of shifting to being a mentor in that same capacity. Uh, I, I do my best to once again, turn it back to Jesus. Like if you're going to go into mentorship and discipleship, you ask yourself, do you want a disciple of yourself? Or do you want a disciple of the perfect one, Jesus? And so that's where that whole process started. Meeting my wife, um, having two wonderful young men, and just watching what the Lord has done in our life that has affected theirs. Because I, I truly believe we cannot make decisions for our children. But as parents, we, we're responsible for setting the conditions for the success. They have to walk through it. Yeah. But if you reduce the amount of issues that they uh, would run into, like... Our boys, I could honestly say, they know what it's like to be cold, wet, hungry, tired, and like angst out. But that wasn't their normal. Those are the times we got a chance to go do things that put them in positions where it's a good experience. I, I, I loved uh, doing scouting things with them and watching them when one of them was, uh, or one of their friends was the... Uh, uh, what they call it, the Chuck master, the, the guy who's responsible for the food and they mess it up and everybody's hungry. And I'm like, this is a good experience because in our home, they've never gone hungry. And I, m my concern is, is kids grow up in, in privilege. Cause if you have three meals a day and you're sassy, that means you're growing up. Okay. You don't have to worry about the lights being cut off. And, and some of my friends who I've gone into the Marine Corps, that's a real deal. Yeah. And, and, and the fact that a lot of that was shielded by our kids that allowed us to train them, equip them and be prepared to go forward. But, uh, that's the short story of meeting my wife. Well, uh, yeah. like it's, uh, you know, like I want to think about it for a second, <laughs> like buying, I'm buying that dead air time here. The, the thought <laughs> I gave you a lot to process, so I'm sorry. Wait, well, and, and to stay with you while you're telling it, it's, it's interesting because, I see this pattern going on. You talk about tools mm -hmm. and you talk about mentorship and immediately, you know, I introduce you say, you, you, 
he's a Marine. He's a pilot. Well, I think he brought in the pilot part. Um, and immediately you say, let's talk about God first. I want to start with my mom relationship, my mom. Right. And, um, the women in our lives, you know, like my first, probably the first person that loved me was my mom. Mm -hmm. And, and maybe the same for you too. I mean, who knows what our dads were doing, but (laughs) (laughs) I know my dad loves me, but, um, that, that mom. And then for me, finding Kate was this, it was like, it, it has nothing to do with my mom, but at the same time, my mom was kind of mentoring me mm-hmm. to be a good husband. And yet at the same time, I didn't have a lot of tools. Right. So I had to go find somebody to mentor me again. And I see this pattern. And, and now like one of the interesting things that, that brought us together, you know, we, we, uh, well, you went to army so different. <laughs> um, you went to OCS, I guess, with Dave. Uh, or actually, was Dave was in that class before me in OCS, but we ended up at flight school at the same time. Okay, and we're talking about Dave Glassman, a hero, and um, Freedom Quest, and all that. And and Dave called me up, and said, "Hey, let's have let's have this little." And I, you know, I have no anything. I don't know anything about you. Mm-hmm. Dave said, you know, blah, 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 credentialing stuff. And I'm like, yeah, what's that mean to me? I, <laughs> you know, like, so we go sit down and then I find your pastor and I'm kind of like my, my first thought when I hear somebody's a pastor is does this person love people? Mm. Like, you know, cause we, we got, I have to, I constantly go back to when Jesus is like, you know, the idea of the great commandment comes out, and everybody loves that. Love your neighbors yourself and love God. Right. What they don't really emphasize is that when Christ is asked this, he's being asked by a pretty much a legal uh, a lawyer from the religious world, and and um, and then Christ emphasizes, "You love the Lord your God, <laughs> love the Lord your God with your heart and your mind and your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself." And in the Greek, you can translate that like eight times, which is this number of creation, or eight or seven times, where they understood you and you are emphasized. God and the neighbor only mentioned once, mm-hmm. and just a few seconds later in John, the the Christ brings out this, "Hey, a new commandment I give you: you love one another." Right, you know, you're myself loving them, and so like I, I, I keep going back to that when I hear somebody's a pastor. Mm-hmm. Like my first thing is like, let's hear about this Joker. Like, <laughs> like let me let, let me be a little uh, let me be a little brash and see what he does. Okay, and 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 like and you just stayed on cue. You're like I love Christ, right? Yeah, I love Dave. I, I, you know, like you got interested and you listened to me, and I love that about you. And then you started telling me what you're doing here. Yes. And it's like, I could care less about you working over here. Eglin is, for y'all who don't know, Eglin is this really cool Air Force base that we live by. And um, they make a lot of plans. It's the largest landmass air base in the free world. Uh, and there, there's a lot of military stuff down here, tons. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, well, you know, you're moving down here for money. And you're not. No. You're moving down here. Why don't you tell the story? Tell, tell us about why you're coming down here. Yeah, man. this is so awesome. I'm going to start the story of why I'm moving down here. And it's going to come out a little bit uh, clunky, a little, little bit of bits and pieces. But I'll do my best to cinch it here just uh, to keep uh, you know the story coherent. Um, 
going through the Marine Corps, um, I could tell you I loved leading Marines, like with a passion. Wanted to be where my Marines were, doing things like, you know, hey, we're flying here, we're picking up Marines, delivering them here, yep, uh, picking up equipment. And uh, air crew wise, loved hanging out, which brings us to Dave Glassman, right? Where Dave and I flew a lot. We flew so much in, um, you know, uh, advanced, meaning we we're helicopter squadron together uh, for a very, you know, for that training period. And we flew so much uh, together. He's Glassman, I'm Chapman. And so we just went by man flight, like. It, it's been awesome. And then even their first deployments, we were together, right? So uh, so that's the Dave Glassman piece. But even back then, um, if you were to ask me my, my standard response of what do you want to do when you grow up, preach, teach, and coach. Like the Lord had put it on my heart to serve in a capacity to help others. You know, I wanted to do it through the military. I wanted to do it in, um, in some of the things that uh, young men do like athletics. I grew up in athletics, loved athletics. And I mean, and I say that as a generic term, because if there was a ball or a stick, I was, yeah, sure. Show me how to play this game. Let's play. Right. And so football, wrestling, uh, baseball, those were like, kind of like my primary. I got to college, did a little gymnastics, did football. And once I knew I was going into the Marine Corps, I stepped out of the football program because I figured, hey, I can't go into the Marine Corps hurt. But even, you know, once I got into the Marine Corps, uh, doing different things, I mean, you're a Marine, you're going to go out and thrash your body uh, with other people. And that's mm-hmm. just awesome. But even then, I wanted to preach, teach, and coach. And so, um, it even affected where we went to church. Uh, so went to, and I'm kind of, like I said, a little chunky here, but uh, there, we were stationed in Hawaii twice, right? Um, uh, 98 through 01 and 04 through 2004 through 2007. And both times we went to a place called Hope Chapel. Uh, senior pastor there, Ralph Moore. Uh, I am still in contact with Ralph Moore. Uh, he was one of my mentors, still is one of my mentors. I can't say past tense there. Still is one of my mentors. And he has planted thousands of churches, right? His churches has planted churches. And he will not even tell you that because he's a humble servant and not prideful at all. It's whatever the work the Lord has done. He's got a chance to participate in it. That, that's what he's about. He's like... Prepare. I mean, as a pastor, your job is to train up leaders to go interact with the body and, and others who are lost. And so coming up under his tutelage, it was one of those things when we left in 2007 from Hawaii to go to Virginia, where we we're currently living before coming down here. He gave me the charge. Alex, I want you to go there with the intent purpose of looking to plant a church. Roger that. Uh, because if I had not received orders back to Virginia to go work at headquarters Marine Corps in aviation. Uh, The thought was we were going to go plant a church in Japan. Like to me, that was the next logical step. Uh, But when you go and you're still serving and then that was 2007, then 2012, I retire and I've already told you that portion. But now the, how do you get to a point where you're going to either preach, teach or coach and, you're still in um, basically serving as a government civilian. So this is the the fun part of life where you're looking at it and you're saying, 
Lord, this is where I am. This is what I have. And I think it's uh, about three and a half weeks from now, this very day, that I hit my early retirement age for a government civilian. So uh, my intent is to retire. Uh, my wife finishes up her um, teaching certification piece for her 10-year mark at the end of this uh, uh, school year, which finishes in June of 2023. So when she's done, I'm done, and we're coming uh, full steam to plant a church here. Now, the church that we go to when we came out of Hawaii in 2007, um, we basically started looking at churches in our area. And this one particular church who does church planting uh, and they met my neighborhood. I was like, I think we're going to go here. And so we started going there. But it was a small church plant. Like we're talking maybe 12, 15 families. And we had uh, teenage boys. So when you're trying to raise up your young men, uh, you want to, you know, environment, youth group, et cetera. Yeah. And uh, there wasn't a youth group at this church plant. And my wife and I were praying over that, what that would look like. And literally the next Sunday, um, a young man approaches us and says, hey, I noticed you have two sons. Um, would you mind if we started a youth group? And my wife and I looked at each other, laughed, because that's what God does sometimes. And, you know, hey, you thought you you were the only ones here? No, no, no. I have more, right? And uh, <laughs> yeah, for oh, yeah. a conversation oh, yeah. we had <laughs> earlier, right? Uh, so we had uh, started off watching that, and we didn't know what to name it. So Brian Scott, uh, who was uh, the, basically, you know, the first youth leader at the church there, um, we, we all sat down, the four of us, Brian, myself, and our two sons, and we said, what are we going to name this thing? And we named our youth group Tenfold, recognizing that if you're faithful with a few, it'll grow to four, maybe even tenfold. And so uh, the Lord has allowed me to uh, pastor in that capacity for uh, like eight to ten years, I guess. I don't know. And uh, now that that group size regularly meets, you know, 35 plus kids every Wednesday and I'm watching what the Lord has done with that. And, and I'm just so pleased to see the Lord's hand in, even in that and how it grew, it grew. And so, uh, the pillar church, um, organization, like I said, a little clunky here, but, um, that is a church with that when we got there in 2007, had the desire to plant churches outside of Marine Corps bases around the world. You're talking 12 to 15 families that were meeting seven miles north of Quantico, which is the crossroads of the Marine Corps. Uh, and you're, you're going, you want to plant churches outside of every Marine Corps installation. And I'm looking around and seeing like tons of empty chairs. Ooh. <laughs> right. <laughs> Who's going to do it? <laughs> right. And so I'm thinking to myself, oh, this has to be a God thing. Cause like, uh, pastor, uh, 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 Clint, uh, Clifton, uh, he is the one who is kind of like, yeah, let's do this. Uh, by the way, he grew up in Palaka, Florida, so he knows nothing about the Marine Corps. Like, but this, this is what we're going to do. And I was like, okay, yep, let's sign up, let's roll. And in that whole process over the next few years, right, I'm watching young Marines come in and then they're going out. And some of the young Marines coming in, you know, you had uh, um, a Marine Captain Brian O'Day. And he was sitting and going, what is this church planting thing? What, what is that? That's stupid. Why would you ever do that? 
and which is one of those things that you got to watch it because when the Lord says, I'll show you what that is. And then Brian understood what the Lord was leading him to. And so instead of pinning on major and continue the progression in the Marine Corps, Brian got out. And did he retire or did he just? He left. No retirement. So we're talking like he spent at least 15 years to get to the major. Board. Well, well, 12 I, and a I, half. I, yeah, I guess if you start out, I, I'm prior service, so I would be like 15. But <laughs> yeah. 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 And uh, he planted Pillar Church in Jacksonville, which is outside of Camp Lejeune. And, you know, once again, you know, starting this whole process and to fast forward on Brian, he is now the president of our Praetorium project, which is the project that oversees all of our launches. And so um, here we are in 2022, and we do have now Pillar Church of Dumfries, which is north of Quantico, Pillar Church of Stafford, which is south of Quantico. Then you go down to North Carolina, you have Pillar Church of Jacks, Havelock, and I think they're also getting ready to plant Newburn. You go further south and you start looking at uh, future ch church plants such as uh, Cherry Point. Um, and then we're also branching out to the Army with uh, Pillar Church of Fayetteville. And uh, with us now coming down to Crestview, Pillar Church of Crestview. And then we literally recently discovered that, Pillar, uh, that Crestview and Fayetteville have a natural path back and forth. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's one of those things. That, yeah, that they all came from. Yes, exactly. The group came here. Yeah. And so we're looking and just ca catching the natural rhythms of certain things. But then as we start tracking uh, further west, there's Pillar Church of San Antonio, who just started. So that's a new church plant. And then as you get out to the west coast, we have uh, Pillar Church of 29 Palms. Like what grows in the desert? Only things that God puts there. <laughs> so <laughs> great answer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then you have Pillar Church of Oceanside and then Pillar Church of San Diego. We had a Pillar Church in County Yoe Bay. Uh, that one uh, didn't make it, but uh, we're still prayerful that God would, you know, put something there. And then also we have one Pillar Church in Okinawa. So we're seeing what God's doing in and around the Marine Corps. And some of those installations I told you about our army, which is being Fayetteville, Crestview, San Antonio, but also we have Pillar Church of Woodlawn, which is right out the front gate of Fort Belvoir oh, yeah. in the D.C. area. Yeah. And, I, and I would be wrong in a miss if I didn't mention Pillar Church of D.C., which is in the capital of our nation. So, by the way, once again, as a repeat, this is something that God did. And many of the men that I, I you know, they're brothers of mine. Um, I watch the passion that God has put in their heart and the desire to go do these things. For me, it's a, an extension on that. Yeah, I mean, the Lord has prepared my family uh, well, meaning our sons both um, graduated from college, uh, married, no student loans. Both of them graduated. That's with, huge. Yeah. I, I'm and, still paying. Yeah, exactly. And I, I've actually seen some stats on this. Like, you know, people in their 60s still have college loans and that, you know, typically it's they paid off theirs, but now they're paying on their children's. And I was like, wow. So that's a thing. It's, uh, it's something that our nation is probably going to be dealing with for a couple of generations, to be honest with you. But uh, um, from that perspective of just raising up your men, launching them out unshackled with uh, the debt and the uh, issues that most kids have, um, I, I think is a blessing from God. Because I can tell you, I know me and how jacked up I am. And I watch what the Lord has done in and around me, um, like uh, the ability for our 
like our eldest, he went to the Naval Academy, right? I didn't go to the Naval Academy. I went to Slippery Rock. We already cleared that part up. But it was because of the Lord putting people like Steve Cantrell in our life, who G-Man, Steve and I, Rich McCormick, we all kind of know each other, uh, love one another. But uh, Steve had gone to the Naval Academy and like a good uncle, introduced that to our sons. And our eldest said, this is where I want to go. And that was in the sixth grade. And so I watched what the Lord was doing to prepare him, uh, us. And so, of course, if you go there, there's like a 98% uh, job placement right after graduating, right? Yeah. So that's the reason why he's in the Marine Corps. Um, and then our youngest, you know, uh, brilliant mind, um, you know, graduated from George Mason in our local area, which is in D.C. And before he even graduated, had a job, like, just because of in, his interaction with uh, some f- folks in our community, uh, well-liked, well-respected. And uh, I appreciate that young man and his skills and talents. Uh, so I look at that as, wow, the Lord has prepared us well. And then here we are now, my wife and I, um, because of how we were raised up in our church. You know, we did Dave Ramsey courses early on. So we're rolling out debt-free. Uh, a couple months away from the house being paid off. And then you have to ask yourself, if you have a military retirement, um, you're going to retire again from the government service and you have no debt, what will you do? Well, and I'd, I'd push it like this. You're a millionaire. Right. But that's, but what does that mean? But what is what is, what does it mean? It's like, and why go, why go do a church? Why do a church in an area like we were talking about this the other day? I'm, yeah. I'm like, when I lived in Crestview while I was Baker, um, there were 65 churches in Crestview. Mm-hmm. I mean, I sit there and counted them all, like all these little things that were. Why? Yeah. So why are you going there? You've got money, right? You don't need to go there. You could nope. go. You hey, you guys are millionaires. You can go live in Key West. <laughs> Probably. You could dive, sit on the beach every day. We got the legal marijuana. I'm sure you got some PTSD. <laughs> you could just chill out. What's going on inside of you, Alex, that makes you want to come to the armpit of Crestview? <laughs> it's not quite an armpit, but it's 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 a uh, in elevation. You're like a hundred feet higher than we are here, uh-huh. right in the water. You're thirty minutes away. Yep. It's crowded. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hot in the summertime. It's also accessible to all kinds of really cool places. It's not a bad place to live. There's tons of people. Mm-hmm. Why go do this? Because people need Jesus. Tell me about that. <laughs> right. So when you start to take a look at this area right here in Northwest Florida, right? Uh, and the core team that uh, God has put in front of me right now, love each and every one of them. We have the Marks family, um, the Dyke family, my sister and her husband, um, uh, we have a young couple, the Chaffees, down in the Pensacola area, and you know we're we're even collecting additional folks that uh, that are you know considering it. looking at the size of our team and what's going on. We looked at Northwest Florida military installations and what would make sense. Our first goal was Pensacola, but looking at the student throughput and the cycle that they go through, um, it would be probably hard to start up initially with a where our target audience of trying to get to the military because they are um, natural distributors of the gospel in terms of being sent. Mm-hmm. You train them up, they're moving, right? You get sometimes 12 to 18 months and sometimes 
they're going. Yep. And sometimes up to three years. You can train them up, love them well, and send them out. And they are going to go do Matthew 28, 19. They're going to go throughout the world. And so that to us is like one of the biggest deals. But knowing that if you're bringing them Jesus, showing them Jesus, living um, and, and just portraying the gospel in such a way, it is addictive. And to do it with a military... Uh, in and around the area, knowing that there's Pensacola, then there's Whitingfield nearby Pace uh, as the community. Then you have Crestview, Eglin, where we're at here in the Niceville area, Tyndall, Herbert. The question was um, not which area, but how fast can we do that in this area? So we're doing this intentionally planting pregnant, like Crestview with, uh, um, I think it's like 20% of the f- people here that work at Eglin live in Crestview. Mm-hmm. Then you have the, it's almost impossible to get a house down here. Right. Exactly. And, I mean, here in this local area, there's really no place to build. Um, so the volume's low. Uh, Crestview still has a lot of homes being built. It's new. Uh, from a commerce perspective, it's another area that it's building up. Amazon's got eyes on it. So if you ask us like, Hey, do you want to be on the ground floor where you can start with a team that builds up and then launches out from there, knowing that you have, a, you know, once again, um, a good military presence, uh, military presence that work at Eglin and also at the seven special forces. Like to me, that became, oh, Lord, if if you allow us, we're, we would like to start here and then just. Whew. Well, it's interesting because I don't know if you know this, but. Crestview is often referred to as the hub city. The hub city. I, it's a I hub. didn't know that. You know, it's like the, the beginning. The hub is in the middle of the wheel. Right. And the spokes go out from there. Oh, wow. So it's the hub city. I'm like, hey. Okay. So you're, you're telling me that. And I'm thinking, whoa, this guy doesn't even know. <laughs> no, no. No, no. But this is, this is how our Lord works, right? Oh, oh God's got this... Uh, there's a sense. I, I sometimes I think that there's this sense of humor that God has. You know, if you look at the story of Job, mm-hmm. you know it's it's God who initiates the entire story. He says, "Hey, Satan, come here." Yeah, you know, and, and and it's it goes from there, and then he comes back to himself. It's like for my glory. This is all about me. It's not about Job. It's not about Satan. It's not about even the even Satan seeing if he can mess with Job. Right. It was all about my glory. And when you're going to do something like this, you know, you didn't go work in the steel mill, which, by the way, thank your family for doing what they've done because without steel, where would we be? Uh, I know. I mean, that's, that's, that's hard. Like, I'm a block mason by trade, and I'm thankful so many times that God pulled me out of that. <laughs> I mean, to do something else, you know. And, right. But your family still the people that work and build stuff with their hands, that's incredible. And, but God said, I got something else for you, Alex. And so he's equipped you, mm-hmm. you know, you, you've got, well, as long as your government, you know, check comes in, you got money. Um, and I love the fact that you guys aren't thinking like the initial thought for any human being is to go like, well, I've got enough money and you could, there's, mm-hmm. there's houses you can afford down here. The thing is, God didn't call you to go to the people that were like you and could afford, you know, and, and, and most of the people that live down here and can afford the houses down here mm-hmm. are retired. Right. 
you know, um, the, I'm very fortunate. Hope called me up one day, one of our people in vet church and sold me this house it's, and we call it the hope house, right? It's like, it's a hub, right? It's ne- we, we were, we never thought, well, we'll just stay here forever. No, we'll work out of here now. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it's the same thing you're doing. And I love this idea because when I pushed you a little bit harder with this whole thing, cause your answer is like, Jesus, like, what's that mean? <laughs> Cause that's who I am. You know, like, right. I want to, I want to hear you talk about like what happens on Tuesday morning, a day and a half removed from the Sunday service. Mm-hmm. What happens when everything goes wrong? And, 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 and that's, I think, I'd love you to talk a little bit about that. Like right. some of that nuts and bolts stuff, because your perspective on that, it, you know, because you understand equipment, mm-hmm. right? Like God built that into you. Yep. He built in relationship into you from your mom, your kids. I mean, like I can't get you to shut up about your kids. Uh, like, <laughs> but you, but you see there's, there's this, this relationship piece. Yes. And, and now you're looking for the people that don't have it together. It's not God helps those who help themselves. It's, God helps those who are desperate. Right. You used the word undone the other day when we were eating. Yes. It means to become disemboweled. It's like to take a knife and jam it into your stomach and, and rip your 20 yards of guts out, which yep. we all have. <clears throat> that is to be undone. Mm-hmm. And and you expressed to me at that table this, your passion for like the, the ins and outs of people that are undone. Like how do we help people? So talk a little bit about that. That's, right. Uh, so once again, um, Growing up in a gospel community for the last three decades at least, you get uh, a sense to see how the gospel message affects people's lives, right? Um, and I, I say that in a context of if you understand who God is, like truly the creator spoke this into existence, he, he can take something in an immediate fashion, create something. Mm-hmm. But then he can also do something that will cause you to go on a journey for 40 years, right? And in that time, he's preparing your heart and all that. So understanding who God is, who I thought was going to prepare me to send out soon and said, no, Alex, uh, you're in a a crock pot right now. You're slow cook. You're not in a microwave. You're going to keep uh, basting here, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then understanding, like, he loved me so much that Jesus came into my life and um, wanting to, uh, like, soak in that, understanding that the the sweetness of the gospel, because I understood where my background, my my way of doing things was being like churned up and and building disgust in my life for me, let alone the people around me. And then I made a decision to follow Christ, like truly, like repentant on uh, my behaviors in and around women, repentant for how I treat it, but the desire to be close to nearby, fed by, taught by, loved by men who said, Alex, you might want to consider this or doing that. And that gospel community from church men affected my life in such a way that I said, hey, what does it look like if I do this and become a pastor to be the greatest cheerleader for Christ coming in and walking beside people like my wife and I can tell you countless times of where we saw the church our the churches that the Lord has allowed us to participate in um, to, to come to our aid like 
Um, part of the thing we did not get a chance to talk about uh, when we were meeting the other day at Black Rifle. Can I say that? I don't want to no, give it. Okay. It wasn't a sponsor or ship or anything. It was just where no. we were meeting. I love Black Rifle coffee. <laughs> I'll tell you what, there's people that got problems with alcohol. Uh-huh. I, I'd drink coffee all day long if it wasn't just, I, I can't anymore. Like right. I can't pull that off. Like I, I kind of became addicted. Yeah, well, that's the reason why they keep making it is because many of us will keep going. Well, and I like the culture of Black Rifle Coffee. Right, right. right. <laughs> exactly. I, I associate with that. But uh, part uh, yeah, of yeah, we got off. Sorry. Yeah, that's all right. I'm back. <laughs> um, so part of the issue, uh, or part of the understanding of growing up in that gospel environment is you don't know when your life changes, right? And there are certain things and events that happen. In 2001, we had literally just got back to the D.C. area, found a church, and literally Jim Shotwell um, loved that brother to death. Like I, th- this is another story for later. But anytime that you get a chance to love, you know, a brother and say, "Man, our families are kind of connected," and then have the joy of walking um, some of his sons through premarital counseling and getting them prepared for marriage has been a blessing in itself. But Jim and Nan Shotwell, husband and wife, when we got to, you know, the church that we were all worshiping in, they loved us well, like literally stepped in the door. Hey, you guys are new. Hey, I'll tell you what, let's let's hang out. And next thing you know, our families are doing scouts together, everything. But um, early on in that relationship, um, we were still kind of like feeling out churches in the air where we're going to go. And because of that introduction, we knew we were going to be a part of that church. That's where the spirit was leading us. And that's what it was. Um, two weeks later, there's this event. I don't know if you heard of it called uh, 9-11. Yeah, that one. It's a little bit of a life changer. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, because I was actually in the Pentagon that day. Uh, oh, no way. Yeah, I was on the fifth floor. And uh, we were watching some of the news, and one of our, our guys in a joking manner kind of chuckled and said, ha, we're next. <laughs> and so literally I'd gone back to my desk, and I sat down, and I pulled up CNN to kind of get, you know, hey, what's going on here? And that's when the plane hit. And I felt the boom, 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 boom. That was a plane going through each of the rings. Tears. Yeah. Yep, underneath me. And at that point, I just put my hands on the desk, closed my eyes, and I said, Lord, if it's my time, I'm ready. So when he didn't answer, (laughs) I got up, I grabbed my buddies. And so for many uh, folks, they don't understand how, like, the Pentagon's designed, right? There are rings, right? Concentric rings. You can go do a tour, too, by the way, folks. Yeah. I highly recommend it. Exactly. And, and, you know, as a U.S. citizen, I would also encourage you to do a tour of the Pentagon. Because, you know, you're looking at something that was designed back in the, I guess, uh, 2020, 2030, kind of as a concept and finally built, I think, in 2040. Uh, For those who are listening who are history majors, they're probably going to go, that guy's an idiot. He doesn't know his history. So, But that's okay. The point being was the guys who designed that knew what they were doing. The reason why concentric circles is in case it was hit, the energy would have a place to go Mm -hmm. so it wouldn't transfer through the building. And because of that design, I'm sitting here with you. Because, you were, were you on that side? On oh, the, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that was the new wedge. Because if we were in the old wedge, I still wouldn't be here with you. But in the new wedge, they had taken out all those older windows and replaced them. Uh, Mylar film, so it reduces blast frag. Uh, Kevlar within the walls, once again, 
blast fat blast frag uh preventive but the energy of that plane going through yeah it went through it stopped at the a ring but because i was in the d ring uh when i got up to start my way out i could look on the right where the windows were and the window had shattered but it was still you know in place from the e ring to d ring maybe 15 20 feet in that 15 20 feet i could not see the e-ring because it was nothing but fire so um because we were also in the new wedge i was the first one to go to the fire escape leading people out and when i opened it up that was the first time any of us had gone through that door no one knew what was on the other side and so i opened it up started to go downstairs filled with fire turn around go back so we turned around, went back, went out the other way, ended up down in the courtyard. Once again, so well designed that there were people sitting in Adirondack chairs. Didn't even know it. Had no idea. Yeah. Like I, th- we did a high school tour because I went to Rocky Bio Christian School over here. Mm-hmm. And Lieutenant Colonel Greet started that. And he had some connections in the Pentagon. So at one point, we I met the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Yeah. As a as a high school student, like we, and we got this tour of the Pentagon where you're like down under and you get oh, the yeah. Rayburn building, all these different places in DC that you can go. You just need to go spend some time and somebody needs to take you. You can't just, you know, you can't just walk into the Pentagon. No, you can set up appointments and you can also set up a no kidding Pentagon tour where oh, yeah. you have a very young enlisted person walking backwards the whole time, <laughs> yeah. talking the whole time. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, um, I actually done two tours in the Pentagon. Of course, the 9-11 tour, but then actually came back uh, later in life, which in the 2007 time frame. <clears throat> and I have a particular like you know affection for that place, but I'm so glad not to work there anymore. And it's not that it um, you know it's like bad or anything. It's just that I know <clears throat> when I was going into that building each time, it 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 was I know I'm there for a purpose. I'm here to you know work for uh, department of navy marine corps and we just flat get after it can i ask you a real personal question sure so it's like i never thought i'd have ptsd mm-hmm. um came back from afghanistan i, I thought i was fine mm-hmm. came back from iraq and uh, i was told no you're a little different and i was only in iraq for like four or five months something it was it was not a long time because we shut down you mm-hmm. know i was there at the end do you have PTSD from this story you just told us? No, and and I and to be honest with you, I have to give God the credit for that. Like literally, there are certain things that had happened, and of course, <clears throat> the days and weeks after the fact, with that being on the news as a constant like reminder and just pinging you, I had to separate myself from that because it was it was busting me up. I've lost friends that day, um, and I'm I'm like. You know, you grew up in the military. You you have friends that like they're neighbors. Like you mm-hmm. love them, their children, and um, you become family. Right, exactly. Yeah. And um, Bob Dolan, literally, we we all lived on the same uh, street. His son Bo, uh, there was like one of those things. You know, uh, all time quarterback as a dad, you're throwing footballs. You know, and Bo was like one of those kids. I I love throwing a football to that that dude. Um, well, Bob had come over to the Pentagon that day cause he was working in crystal city and he was down on the second floor 
Bob didn't make it. Oh man. Yeah. And to go to the Naval Academy for his uh, funeral. Um, and it hit me hard. It hit me hard as to why I'm still here. Bob didn't work there and I lost Bob. And I mean, those kind of things, but in terms of the PTSD, the explosion, the, the things that were going on no. um, uh, the Lord has continued to shower me with uh, the blessing. Yeah, grace upon grace, and it, that is one like, of them. Some people just get it. Yeah, you know, and it's not like they don't love God, or you know, you're you're not. I can for Hoover's watching, listening to this. I can tell you right now, Alex is not saying, "Well, you have PTSD because God doesn't love you." No, that's <laughs> not what you're saying. No, um, I've ever heard people say similar stuff to that, but you could tell that their attitude they were they were just mis. I don't know. I don't know what's wrong, but that's not the way God works. I mean, no. it is, it, but it's a total blessing that you don't. Right, right. I mean, it's it's an amazing thing, honestly. Right, and I do understand that even Paul had asked, you know, will you just take this thorn out of my side? And, right. And and sometimes he, he does it to Well, you think us. about God preparing you. Mm -hmm. You know, like we started, you started, hey, I'm going to tell you this story is going to get choppy because we're talking about, the ins and outs of the details of love. Mm -hmm. So you have to be broken a little bit. Mm -hmm. If you didn't have any loss, what good are you going to be as a pastor? Oh, that's true. That's true. As a matter of fact, um, how do you prepare somebody when you can only tell them academically, right? Don't get me wrong. Academically is fine. We, we do it all the time. It's a great place to start. But you, the compassion, you there. Yeah. right? But the compassion, the understanding, the empathy, and sometimes even the sympathy to be able to walk alongside somebody is the big deal. And so I think that was one of the things that we were going probably earlier in the conversation is like, you know, being qualified as a pastor where you're the cheerleader. Like, what is it that you will do differently here with 65 churches? Uh, I I can tell you this. I'm I feel called by the Lord to go do this. Right in terms of demonstrating here what has been demonstrated to me, which is to love one another. And to love one another means you have to know somebody to include their testimony, their struggles, their joys, their hates, and being able to show them Christ. And I can tell you, in a world that we exist now, there are so many things that become barriers. In a technological 21st century U.S., we spend more time in front of a screen than we do in front of people. And to me, I mean, there's goods and bads. If you can manage and manipulate it well, it's a great technique tool and source but it's not a replacement for that interaction right. the 80 percent nonverbal communication that you get interacting with people because this is real yeah and in this i'm holding up my phone <laughs> well in, in in the the conversation i did yesterday mm -hmm. the um jim coyle talks about like he's hard to get on the phone okay he's like turn that thing off like it's not going to control me and there came a point in life and he was aware of it. And he's 57, so I think he's a few years older than me. I think you're a couple years older than me. Yeah, I'm 56. And so, th so there's this there's this moment that took place where, you know, I almost didn't see it being 51. Mm -hmm. Like the phones were just, as I got out of college, we had pagers in college. And then yeah. the next thing you know, it's like everybody's got, I mean, big old clunky phones. Mm -hmm. And you're just constantly working. And then the internet. Yeah. The e-machine, e I think, came out the first one. And. And, and then, but how do you, none of that's real. Right. Well, it creates a, a false environment, a faux environment where, um, and I saw it a lot 
with the youth in terms of, and these are kids growing up in Christian homes who are now establishing what they consider, um, because it is real to them. Those are real relationships that they have with these people online. Right. And it's not always what it's cracked up to be. I mean, people have an image. They, um, they manufacture an image and then they, you know, they keep it very well manicured that you only see the side of me. And it, and it's a, it's a falsity, right? Well, when you come alongside people and you show them like, this is what life looks like, you know, and you have a couple game nights at your house where there's an interaction, dialogue, food, and people start to open up, then you get to the next level, right? And a lot of people don't get to that next level of intimacy where I can't love you if I don't know you. I, I don't know how to love you. And that's where usually the breakdown happens. Because if I keep you at the surface level, it's nice. We can talk about the weather or talk about, you know, something in passing. But to talk about a struggle or a joy, that that's good. Because I want to share in your joy as well as your your struggles. Right. Because that's what Jesus did, right? And and when you start to, to see that, people then get the legitimacy of what you're you're saying, what you're doing. And that part right there takes time. And then once again, just going back and just looking and appreciating what God's doing, he's created a, a place in my life that, Alex, you don't have to work. Like, what would it look like if you, once again, just set aside for me to go and do this and not worry about, hey, can I get enough cheeks in the seats to pay my salary? But now worry about, hey, there are people struggling, marriage, finances, future. Mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of these, because if you're in and around a military installation, you're going to have like real life to deal with. People die. Mm -hmm. And you need to be able to come alongside. People come back broken, sometimes permanently. You need to come alongside and, and do that. You can't do that in fits and starts, two texts, and maybe an email. Not going to happen. No. So to be able to say, Lord, I am literally planning to die here. Help me to be of service. I'm, I'm glad you're I, like it. Like you mentioned things that are so important, Alex, like the, the game night, like something as simple as game night. Right. Like, right. So on my Christmas list this year, I put, uh, what's it called? Lord of the Rings version of risk. Okay. Right? <laughs> okay. Um, on your page. <laughs> yeah. That's like, like, we always do this little list thing, you know, whatever. Um, but to sit and play. Mm -hmm. Another thing we do as a family is we we do puzzles. Oh. That table, the one little table out there. The uh -huh. reason the table's in the house, that was my grandfather's table, is for puzzles. Right? Like this is too small of a house to have dinners. <laughs> right, right, right. But we do puzzles and we like we find that like caring and sharing takes place in the space between the glitter and the glitch. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, as a, as a military chaplain, I came back from Afghanistan and I worked in a hospital before that. And, you know, somewhere in there, somewhere in their first number of years, I was comparing notes with my father-in-law, mm -hmm. 40 years of pastor, local church, cradle to the grave. Wow. Um, and everything in between, you know, like a, he's, he's 40 years of being a pastor. And he says, Matt, I think you've seen more death in the last few years than I saw in my whole career mm -hmm. so far. 
he's he was still a pastor at that time. Um, it it was weird because as a chaplain, then he called me to go to parties per se. I mean, I, I went to some with the staff and you know I had friends, but I was always called out for the tragedy. Right? Have you seen the chaplain? And in the army, I you know it's it's not so much this way in the air force. I'm not my my brother in law is a uh, marine. Oh, well, no, he's not with the Marines. Maybe he's with the Marines. He's a Navy chaplain. I think he's he's in San Diego right now, and he's okay. going back to Virginia Beach. So I don't. I think he's going back Navy. You know, okay. that's what how they roll that thing. Right. Um, but with the Army, you go where the people go. Mm-hmm. You sleep in the snow if they're sleeping in the snow. You, and I did it. I loved. It. I was in prior service, and so it's my. You know, I love that stuff. And. It was weird because, like, it, at some point I started to realize that, like, all, all I'm being called upon is the problems. Like, mm-hmm. it's just one problem after the other. That's what I deal with all day long. Right. And you, you hit on something that's so keenly important for, I want to use the word discipleship. So you're not a Christian listen to this. We're introducing the word discipleship. And maybe you'll talk a little bit about this, Alex, because the discipleship is taking a person— in teaching them is instructional process of how to be uh, that, that ontological value. You know, we are, we are, well, how do you become what you are? How do you be who you are? Right. And the mentorship, you've mentioned that, but you mentioned something that's so keenly important. That's, that's missed a lot. It's not just dealing with problems. It's also embracing joy. Oh yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about discipleship and joy and Yeah, as a matter of fact, when it's demonstrated well in your life, you say to yourself, I, I need to do more of this. Um, you know, and I've had similar experiences in like coaching when your sons are growing up and you want to make sure that there are people present and sometimes that means you volunteer. So coaching them in in baseball and things like that and just showing kids how to like catching you see that aha moment. Mm-hmm. You're like, wow, this this is addicting. So when you're doing it in the in terms of what you're working in around church, walking through scripture, like uh, if you were part of our Saturday morning men's study, uh, we've been in Romans, uh, dare I say, three years. It may, I mean, you were meeting once a week on a Saturday. We're in Romans 15 now, still crawling through, loving it. But watching through those conversations and discussions, some of the young men at the table get that aha moment of what does it mean to love one another right you know going back to john and and taking a look uh, at other pieces of scripture while you're walking through romans is incredible but that discipleship pointing people back to jesus understanding the word of god memorizing scripture these are all fundamental pieces of that discipleship prayer and um then you're actually engaging in one another's lives right uh one of our um Probably one of the biggest blessings that the Lord has allowed us to do is when we live this close to Quantico, you get a lot of the basic school TBS students that come by, right? And you get a chance to watch like relationships form between a husband and wife. And this one example, um, we have this young lady, Debbie um, uh, Brown, who came to us from Pennsylvania as a graduating um, college student who is a teacher. My wife's a teacher. And then watch my wife love on Debbie was just such a blessing talking about different things, career choices, and watching them talk professionally was a blessing. And then 
while at church, there was a young Marine there who had got hurt during training, busted up his knee, needed surgery. And this is at the start of COVID. And I looked at this young Marine and I said, Hey, what's your plan? It was, uh, well, I'll get surgery. And then, um, I'll sit in the, in the barracks. I was like, no, you're not. See if you can convalesce, uh, at our house. So Nathaniel, uh, ended up convalescing at our house. Well, Nathaniel and Debbie kind of like noticed one another. (laughs) And, uh, as they started to date, it was one of those things. My wife and I got a chance to be, you know, more loving type parents from that standpoint, meaning like, you know, just providing structure, true mentorship, true mentorship where we prayed as a family, talked as a family. Um, Nathaniel's parents were able to come from Ohio and they lived with us while they were, he was there convalescing too. And I look at that as just sheer joy, yeah. sheer joy. If I could fast forward to that was at the beginning of COVID. So it was that 2020. Yeah. yeah. And, and now it's 2022. Uh, uh, fast forward to, uh, Yesterday, I'm actually going back to the hotel room, uh, cycling through my phone, and I pull up something on you know one of uh, our basically family social media feeds, and I screenshot their daughter. <laughs> like they got married, I, I was able to do their their wedding. Uh, they're married. They have a That's awesome, man. <laughs> have a baby, and that little girl is so joyful. Like you see her, she, she scoots around, she's very vocal. And I look at that each time and go, Lord, you have blessed me with the ability to, you know, share the gospel with people, live the gospel with people such that you get a chance to watch new life through marriage, birth. And he's a Marine stationed out in uh, Camp Pendleton. Like I, I can only brag about God. Like if you give me 30 seconds, like I just brag about God, why wouldn't I? Right. And so, um, I, I just continue to look at the, the discipleship taking many forms within our home, at work, as well as in and around my community and my friend set, right? Because the Lord allows us to be a part of a church, which is his disciple-making factory. And that church was not necessarily an organization that shows up on a day to check the block. It is a family of people that are gathered together for the sole purpose of showing Christ to everybody else. And if you think about it, church membership is so undersold anymore that people start to lose sight of it. But when you see what church membership is, you realize that no one is a complete uh, entity in in and of themselves. Jesus was the only complete one because he's God. But when you take a look at the church and its composition of all the body parts, then you have a body that is so beautiful that she's called the bride. And when you do it well, she's super attractive. Like I want to be a part of that. I want to I want to have somebody love me like that. I want to have somebody show me some of these things. And then when you have that cross-generational piece where you have some of the older folks who, you know, we still know how to use a rotary phone. I can show you what an 8-track looks like. Vinyl's finally made its way back and it's super popular. Oh, yeah, yeah. But then we look at the younger generation and say, Hey, what is this thing? What's the Google's telling me now? Right. (laughs) And so having that cross generational sharing life with one another, sharing the joys of friendship, pain, uh, babies coming in. I mean, Oh Matt, I can, 
I can just probably go on all day, but uh, knowing that uh, I only have a few minutes left, <laughs> I thought like I looked down and it's for those of y'all listening. We are we're ten minutes over, so yeah, Alex, you're you're moving down here, yes, next summer. Yep, next June, twenty twenty three, and the church in Crestview is going to be called Pillar Church, Pillar Church of Crestview. Yes. Okay, so we'll do another one of these, I'm sure, but um. I just thought, I, like, I really, when I heard that you had this little slot of time, I wanted to get in on it because, because sometimes it's real important not to just have hope, but to see the fruition of hope. Right. To see it come out later. So, like, this is like a, this is a marker, right? Like, because yep. we're going to watch God do something. Right. And I'm real excited about that. I'm excited about you and Kate moving down here. Um, oh, good. I can't, oh. can't wait for us to all sit down and just hang out. Yeah, I'm looking that. forward to it as well. As a matter of fact, uh, I, I told my wife about you. <laughs> and so, There's uh, a lot to tell. <laughs> yeah. So when we get down here, uh, we'll actually be visiting, doing another uh, events uh, trip. We're, you know, house. Oh, uh, that's right. In November. Yeah. So we'll be back down. I don't expect to be on the podcast, but I do want to bring bread with you. <laughs> like, yeah, let's go, Let's do a dinner. And then, um... okay. So, hey, thank you all for listening. It's uh, your your story, your story, whoever you are listening to this, your story is sacred. And my reasoning for saying that is that as a Christian, I believe that Christ died for you. So whether or not you're a Christian or you, you think I'm a little nuts for being one, I still see your story as sacred. And I believe that God does too. So come on the podcast with us. Come sit down. Come meet guys like Alex who are the real deal. All right, thank you. Thanks. Thank you for joining us for this Vet Church interview. Your feedback is welcome. Find out more at vetchurch.com or retiredarmychaplain.com.